Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. But I'm Thanks concerned again. about the condition of our society. And, and so I want to talk to you about um, testing spiritual things. I think the church largely and people largely have lost our ability to test spiritual things. And then through that testing, make an estimation as to where we are in regard to spiritual things. And I hope to show you the three ways in which we do that, the three things that, three conditions that the world exists in, help you align yourselves properly while figuring out where you are. And so that's, that's my hope. But the, the idea here is simple. So we've been called to test the spirits. I want to start before we even really get into this thing that and tell you by telling you everything is spiritual. It's a good spirit or a bad spirit, but just as, just as everything is flesh, everything is also spiritual. You are not mainly flesh with a spirit. You are mainly spirit with a flesh. And so everything that the enemy tries to do to come against you, he comes against you in the spirit. You're, you're grounded by the spirit of God. You're saved by the spirit of God through the work of Jesus Christ. Everything is spiritual, but not everything is of God. And so I don't talk to you about testing spiritual things. out of, And this is our responsibility. 1 John 4, 1 through 3 tells us, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, because there's spirits out there that you shouldn't be trusted. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. There have been a lot of false teachers out there declaring something that isn't true. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Everybody say, He is. So if they've declared Jesus Christ is coming to the world, that is from the Spirit of God. And every spirit that does not confess is Jesus is not from God. Everybody say not. So it's pretty simple, right? There's a pretty clear line of delineation. If you declare Jesus Christ as having come into the world and live your life as such, then you are of God. If you don't, then you are not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, this one that says there is not a God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. So I want to say this first. We talk all the time out of the in regard to the Antichrist coming in Revelation. Can I tell you, the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist is already here. The spirit of the Antichrist is already here deceiving God's people and creating veils over the lives of unbelievers so that they don't come to a revelation of who God is. We need to understand that the spirit of the Antichrist isn't something we should be looking for in the future. It's something we should be protecting ourselves against right now. 
And this, this is a big deal. When we see the Antichrist as some future event, we let our guard down. And we've not been called to let our guard down. We've been called to be sober-minded. We've been, we've been called to pay attention to the wiles of the enemy. Amen? And so that's what we're called to do. So the, <clears throat> it's simple. Really, confess Jesus, and you're not the Antichrist. Don't confess Jesus, and you are of the Antichrist. Those are the two spirits. And you're thinking, well, that's simple. I've declared Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I know where I am. Why, why are you bothering me with this teaching? Because we ain't getting it right. Just because you declare Jesus doesn't mean you're walking with Jesus. I've heard many of people say the name of Jesus and live like hell. It's just the truth of it. But you know what I've never seen? I've never seen you live like hell and walk with Jesus. That's good. So why this teaching? A couple of reasons. First, the world been, has become numb to the fact that everything is spiritual. And we have come to a place in our society where, according to the Word of God in Philippians, we glorify in our shame. We are so unconvinced of the ramifications of not believing, the consequence of not believing, that we don't even try to hide our sin anymore. We glory in it. We pull it out into the street and we say, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. And you can, if you don't believe me, just walk out on any street. The a gay parade exists to glorify in something that should cause us shame. Adultery is something that should cause us shame. And yet you hear men in the workplace bragging about their latest conquest, whether it's adultery or fornication. These things should bring us shame. It should bring reproach on us. We should hang our head low. But we haven't done it because we've allowed ourselves to grow numb to spiritual things. We don't recognize that there is a spirit in everything that we do. And we have to pay attention. We cannot glory in our shame. We shouldn't celebrate. People are all, man, you can't shame me. You shouldn't be shaming so-and-so. Yes, we should. Let me stand against and immediately opposed to society. We should discuss the things that bring shame on other people. Do you know why? You're all, man, that's just mean. No, that's not mean. Shame brings conviction. Conviction brings an understanding of who you are, and in understanding who you are, you cry out to Jesus. So if we don't glorify in our shame, but call it out, isolate it, and destroy it, then we can have a relationship with Jesus. So this is why we need to test the Spirit, so that we can get rid of this numbness in our society that has grown so prevalent. Secondly, many of us who call ourselves Christians aren't. Oh, oh, he was talking about all these people out here being homosexuals and whatnot. Oh, I'm talking about us. We say, man, I'm a Christian. And then we live like we're going to hell. We live like we don't know Jesus. We gather around us people that tell us the things that we want to hear because it makes us feel good. This is what Paul told Timothy in his warning to Timothy. He says, 
2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, he said, For a time will come, and I will submit to you that that time is right now, will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, which means they're not going to listen to sound biblical teaching. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Boy, are we seeing that? We're seeing that in the church. I don't want you to preach against that because it makes me uncomfortable. I don't want you to preach against that, and don't you know I'm a big donor here? Don't you know who I am? I don't care who you are. I don't care what you bring and what you give. I'm grateful for that. But if you think who you are, what you are, what you've accomplished, and the check that you write is going to determine what truth is spoken from this pulpit, you're in the wrong church, man. And I think that's, that's the way it should be. Paul wasn't scared to die for his faith. None of us should be scared to die for ours either. So anyway, in accordance with their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. And that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing churches of thousands and tens of thousands of people that aren't teaching the whole gospel, the whole counsel of the Word of God. Because... They don't want to they don't want to minimize their crowd. Let me tell you, ten thousand people in here, and if all we're doing is ministering to the sinner, not the saint, we should be ashamed. Y'all my people. They gonna be my people when they declare Jesus. But for now, y'all my people. And my job is to protect you. Your job is to protect each other. And your job is to protect yourself. Amen? But we can't do that if we don't realize how to test spiritual things. So there's three kinds of people in regard to spiritual things. There are those who don't don't have any relationship with Christ at all. They're absolutely unchristian spirits. And I'm going to talk to you about those and how to deal with those people or how to deal with that person if that person is you. And then there are those things that are spiritual that sound like Christian but aren't Christian. And I hope to show you how to deal with those people and if that's you, how to deal with you. And then I'm going to talk to you about the third thing, which is those things that absolutely are Christian according to the Word. And if that's you, how to continue being that. So let's talk about it. In testing the spirits, I'm going to be coming out of the book of Acts. I'm actually going to use three different stories in the book of Acts to make three different points, and here's the first one. There are spirits that are not at all Christian. If you'll turn to Acts chapter 19, or take notes if you want to go there later. I'm just going to read 8, 9, and 10. And he entered the synagogue. This is talking about Paul and his trip to Ephesus. And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them, took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. They took place, that this took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. 
But th- let me tell you what, why I bring this story up, why I talk about these three verses, because of where Paul was teaching. Paul was teaching in Ephesus. And man, we read the book of Ephesians and we think, man, Ephesus must have been a godly city. Ephesus must have really had it going on. But when Paul got there, there was very little to no Christian presence in Ephesus. I would argue that there was no real Christian presence in Ephesus. You know, but Paul met some guys and they said that they had, they had been baptized, but they weren't Christian. Did you mess? I know I messed you up. Let me read this to you. It happened that while of this verse one, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. Disciples, you automatically think they must be Christian, right? And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard of there whether there is a Holy Spirit. And so he asked them the question that's reasonable to ask. And to what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. They weren't baptized in Jesus. They were baptized into John's baptism. What does that mean? That means they were baptized as though they had been prophesied by an Old Testament prophet that if they didn't repent, God was going to deal with them. That's how every other prophet did it. People repented. Look at Nineveh. The whole city repented. None of them were Christian, all of them were godly, but they had yet to hear the name of Jesus. The redemptive work of Jesus hadn't been done yet. But here, they had been baptized into John the Baptist's baptism, not the Holy Spirit baptism, not the baptism in Christ Jesus. So I would argue that there is a very, very small, if any, presence of Christianity in Ephesus at the time of Paul's going there, which is fine, because we should be in places where Christians don't exist. We should go to where there aren't any Christians, so that there might be Christians there. Everybody all right? But what did Ephesus look like at the time that he was there? It was the idol capital of that entire region. In the city of Ephesus was the temple of Artemis. Artemis was a was the god of strength and something else. I didn't write it down. But anyway, so he was the biggest, most powerful god of that region of that time. And everybody would come to worship Artemis. This temple of Artemis was so big that it was four times the size of the Parthenon. Y'all been to the Parthenon in Nashville? You shouldn't go to the Parthenon in Nashville because there's an idol in there too. You know, wow, man, I just, I just went to see it. It was cool. There's an idol in there. Why are you going in there? Anyway, four times the size of the Parthenon, which means that Ephesus literally laid in the shadow of idol worship. But not only that, Ephesus and the Temple of Artemis specifically was the central place where banking happened and where courthouse procedures happened. So the temple was the bank and the courthouse. And so if you said, I'm going to be Christian in Ephesus, this is what's going to happen. 
You're immediately going to be ostracized socially because you're not part of the temple worship anymore. You're immediately going to have a bunch of your money taken away from you or maybe not even an opportunity to make any money, and you're never going to get good judgment levied against you. You're always going to be facing injustice. This is the world that Paul walked into. He walked into a world that was wrought with divination, witchcraft, sorcery, idol worship, and began speaking the truth into a society that didn't know they didn't know, Paul began speaking the truth. And guess what happened? They got mad. They opposed him. Can I tell you, when you speak into a world that doesn't know Jesus, they're going to get mad at you. When you get to where you're speaking into a world where people think they know Jesus but don't have a proper doctrine, they're going to get mad at you too. People don't like having their truth messed with. The problem is their truth doesn't matter. This is the truth that matters. This is the only truth that matters. If it's not between the two leather pages of this book, it doesn't matter. It's a non-truth. It's an opinion based in something other than truth. And so he declares in truth the gospel to them, and they got mad. But that's all right. That's what we should expect. I'm telling you, when you start telling people about Jesus, they're going to get fussy. But Jesus said that if they would, John 15, 19, says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Because you've been plucked out of the world, because you belong to Jesus, they're going to hate you like they hated him. He goes on to say in Matthew 10, 24, that the disciple is never above his teacher and the slave never above his master. Whatever happened to him, you can expect to happen to you. We should live and breathe in expectation that whatever happened to Jesus is going to happen to us and never allow that regardless to allow us to compromise the truth. Because the world is dying for the truth. They're dying for us to tell them the truth. And I don't mean, oh man, I'm dying for a cheeseburger. I'm not talking about like anxious expectation. I mean, they are literally dying and going in eternal hell because we are afraid to tell them the truth. Because the world says that they, the Bible says that they are dead in their trespasses until we, through the ministry of reconciliation, tell them the truth of the gospel which is what we have to do. We can't be smart enough. We're not intelligent enough. We're not articulate enough. We're not charismatic enough to save them. Only the power of the gospel has the power to save them. And so we have to declare the gospel to them. What is that? That I was a sinner, but God sent his son Jesus. And because God sent his son Jesus, I acknowledge that truth by saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I believe I speak with Jesus Christ as my Lord, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says, what happens? You shall be saved. I tell you these three verses all the time because you need to be able to speak into a world that is blind to their sin. And sometimes to a world that is okay in their sin. I'm about to get excited in here. We need to be able to tell them the truth, even if it makes them mad. I say especially when it makes them mad. Because we love them. You guys have heard me quote the proverb that says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies his kisses. 
I got people that I love that I would stand in front of a bullet for that don't know Jesus. It's not that I don't love them. It's because I love them that I tell them about Jesus. The wounds that they think they're getting are evidence of the love that I have for them. An enemy stands at the temple steps and says, it's okay, it's okay. Come as you are. Stay as you are. You come as you are, but you just shouldn't stay the way that you are. We have to test between spiritual things. First, those things that don't have a Christian spirit in them at all and declare the truth to them. Amen? How did we get into this condition? How do we live in this society to where stuff like the gay pride events happen, where abortion is available up to just a, up to birth in some places? How, how did we get to such a place? I'm going to tell you the same thing I told you during our O Sleeper series because the church gave it permission to happen. These things happen by permission of the local church because there was a time when those things didn't exist in our society because the church stood for what was right. When we sat down, the world stood up. When we silenced ourselves, the world became loud. And the longer we stay silent, the louder it's going to get. And you're like, oh, no, 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 no. You're, we're not paying attention. I can prove this to you just in entertainment, just in our television. In the, I think it was the 90s, Will and Grace taught us to laugh at homosexuality. There was, a, there was the, uh, an actively homosexual guy in that show, and we thought, man, that is so funny. And everybody was watching that show until they became numb to the sin that is sexuality. Not only Will and Grace, that... But Three's Company, way back in the 70s, some of y'all remember the 70s, made us laugh at all types of sexual perversity. The Simpsons made us laugh at rebellious children. Married with children undermined the authority of the father, the father inside the household. And Harry Potter and things like that normalized witchcraft and sorcery. That which we listen to will become normal in our life. We will grow numb to it, become silent against it, and the world will rise up and live in it. It's time that we stop. Pay attention to what you're watching on television. Pay attention to what you're listening to. Pay attention to who you're talking to and what you're talking to them about. Pay attention to your action. Live according to the spirit, not the flesh, because I promise you that the flesh will bring death. And the Spirit brings what? Life. That's the Word of God according to Romans chapter 8. So there it is. Those people that aren't Christian at all, that don't know Christianity, they're not going to like you. But that's okay. You need to acknowledge them, recognize them, be able to test who they are, and declare the truth to them. And I'll tell you, if that's, if that's you, if you just happen to stumble into the church today, let me tell you, God loves you so much that he proved his love for you while you were still a sinner by sending his son Jesus to be the replacement for you on the cross to absorb the wrath and the judgment that you had coming. Because for no other reason than he loves you and all you have to do to 
appropriate that love and to live in that love for all of eternity is declare Jesus Christ is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you shall be saved. When I, it doesn't mean, all right, you're Lord, and then go do whatever you want to. That means Lord and live according to this word. Are you going to mess some stuff up? Probably. But you know what? You repent, and you go back to this word, and you figure out where you got it wrong and get it right. I praise God that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, that there is an opportunity for repentance, but there is also an opportunity and expectation for obedience. Amen? So that's what we do. If we test the Spirit and find it to not be Christian at all, or test ourselves in that and find that we don't have a relationship as we should. There's another spirit. Spirits that sound Christian, but are not Christian. Spirits that sound Christian, but are not Christian. I need you to turn to Acts chapter 16. I'm going to read 16 through 21. It happened again. This is Paul. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, just so you know, Paul didn't write this. It's, he's not the one that says we. Luke wrote the book of Acts. So Luke is traveling with Paul, but he says, it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a, Luca, having a spirit of divination met us. Divination is fortune telling. Things the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy we're supposed to stay away from. Met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, notice that says small s, so it's not a spirit of God in her, there's another spirit in her, it says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her at that very moment. There are those who call themselves Christians fighting against Christian truth. I want to ask you a question. Verse 17. She says, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Was Paul not a servant of the Most High God? Was he proclaiming the way of salvation? Why, why did Paul rebuke her? That's a good question, man. She was saying all the right stuff. Sadly, in the church, we say all the right stuff. But we may not know Jesus. There are people that call themselves Christians. There are churches that call themselves Christian that's saying the right stuff but still have the wrong spirit in them. Let me tell you what's wrong with this statement. She says, these are bondservants of the Most High God, proclaiming to you the way of salvation. The reason Paul cast him out, cast this demon out is first because he had so tuned his spirit to the spirit of God that he recognized through discernment that who she was wasn't godly and that she needed rebuking. 
Some of us need to work and pray for discernment. There are people around us using the name of Jesus that don't know Jesus. They're just trying to get you away from Jesus. But the main reason is this. Because she never claims who the Most High God is. These are bondservants of the Most High God, declaring to you the way of salvation. Imagine, if you will, being surrounded by idol worshipers. He's trying to minister to people that don't know God. And this woman that this town knows as a person of divination, a person of idol worship, says this statement. The people that are listening to her, who do they think she's proclaiming as the Most High God? Probably whatever God they know her to be following. So by not declaring that Jesus is the Most High God, he's leading them astray. She, she's leading those other people astray. You could say the right stuff, but if you're not using the name of Jesus, if you're not declaring the name of Jesus according to the Word of God, you're still not saying the right stuff. Notice that Paul didn't say, come out by the Most High God. He said, come out by the name of Jesus Christ. Because he wasn't scared to call it. Because he knew there are some people that talk the talk, but don't know it. That's all they know is vocabulary. We have to be better. We're, we're eat up with it in this society. I'm going to call it just like it is. Hope this doesn't hurt your feelings, and if it does, you you get unhurt pretty quick, I guess. If you have a Methodist background, love some Methodist people, that's not a church. The Western Methodist Church is no longer a Christian organization. Oh, man, that's pretty pointed. Yes, it is. The Universal Methodist Church, still standing by Christian and biblical doctrine, is a true church. But the Western United Methodist Church is no longer a Christian church because they stand opposed to sound doctrine and have allowed their ears to be tickled enough to succumb to a lie. You're all, what are you talking about? They're not just saying it's okay to be homosexual, but that it's okay to place a homosexual in membership and it's okay to place a homosexual in leadership. Let me tell you how dangerous this is. You can't allow someone into your membership that's walking actively in sin, for this is what happens when you do, pardon the metaphor, you cut the skin open, the body of Christ, you cut it open, you take some cancer, you put it inside the body, you sew it back up, and all that cancer is going to do is grow and kill the, the, the good flesh. And that's what's happening right now. I had a Methodist preacher in this county tell me, I asked him, I said, how are you going to vote when it was all going to vote? He said, do you really want to be the person that tells homosexuals they're not allowed in the church? And I said, no, why would I ever say that? But I'll be willing to tell the people, they, the homosexual or anybody living in active sin, they can't be a member of the church. They can't be in leadership in the church. You know why? Because I care too much about this body to introduce cancer to it. So we have to be willing to stand. I told you there's those who don't have a spirit of Christ at all 
how to deal with them and how to filter your own life through there. But you know what? There are people that have a Christian understanding but aren't Christian too. We come to church, we say all the right words, we do all the right stuff. Those people, guess what you do? You tell them the truth. The answer is the same for all of them. You tell them the truth. The truth according to the Word of God. You know, man, these sound like terrible things. They are terrible things. That's why we're talking about them. Trust me, I didn't want to teach this sermon. But I have to. You know why? Because people in Christian society as a whole are still listening to Bethel music are still listening to Hillsong music, are still reading the Passion Bible, and you're all, I love those songs. Well, that's great. Well, they're theologically sound. Well, that's great. Except that they came from a church that isn't a church. Hillsong, Bethel, just look them up on the internet. Well, no, don't look them up on the internet. It's the whole point. They are bound in witchcraft, in sorcery, and, and just ungodly things. And so why won't we listen to those songs here? Why don't I play those songs here? Because I don't want you to say, man, I like that song. Who sings that song? And somebody says, well, Bethel sings that song. Man, I'm going to look them up. And then you get trapped up in their hot mess. And then you get off the rail because I was foolish enough to introduce something to you I shouldn't have introduced you to. Don't even put the false prophet's cloak on. Amen? And the Passion Translation. If you have a passion translation, throw it in the trash. But before you throw it in the trash, rip it in half so somebody doesn't get it out of there and read it. Let me tell you why. Oh, I've told you this before, but let's pretend you didn't hear it because it usually takes us eight, eight nine, ten times to grab, get something, a hold of something. The passion translation ain't a translation. It's a summarization and a poor one at that. It was written by one guy not a multiplicity of people who are accountable to one another over various disciplines like every other real translation is, and the guy that wrote it, you can YouTube this video. He's on a platform. Somebody somewhere gave him a platform, and he was talking about how God brought him up to heaven, brought him into his library, into God's library, told him he could have access to two or three books or something he could keep with him. Just, the whole thing seems crazy to me. But then he says, he says, well, what's that book? And God said, well, that's the last chapter of John. And he goes, well, I want that one. He said, you can't take that one until you're a little more mature. At some point in your life, I'll give you the last chapter of John, and you can, put, you can include it in the Scripture. That's freaking heresy. The canon is closed. The Bible is closed. It is what it is. We're not to add or subtract anything from it. And a man that will tell you, I wrote this Bible, but it ain't done yet, is a liar and a heretic. Oh, man, that's bold talk. It's time the church started talking a little bold about some stuff. Because people are dying and going to hell. There's a good word right there, Pastor. All right, thanks. <laughs> But you know what? It's okay. God gave us tools to deal with these problems. 2 Corinthians 2, 10, 3 through 5. Read like this. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. 
For though we walk in the flesh, do not we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapon of our warfare are not the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. That's that anything that's opposed to the doctrine, the true word of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so I told you, I said, God gave us tools. And then I just read you these verses and you're all, oh, there's no tools in there. That just says we're supposed to tear down anything that stands opposed to Christ and we're supposed to take every thought captive. You know how we do that? With the tools that God has given us. And I'm going to give them to you in order. The Word of God, prayer, the Spirit of God, sound wisdom, sound counsel. The Word of God, because nothing, if anything in these other three areas contradicts the Word of God, they're not from God. God will never contradict His own Word. Prayer, so that you can have conversation from God. Allow yourself to be led by the Spirit so that whatever He tells you in that conversation, you might be able to confirm through wise counsel and the Word of God. You want to be able to tear down the strongholds in your life, the strongholds in the people around you's lives? You want to be able to take every thought captive according to Christ Jesus? Read your Bible, pray, trust the Spirit of the Lord, and trust wise counsel to make sure you ain't heard something crazy. Do you know your heart's deceitful? But God told me to do such and such. Mm, man, I can't find that in Scripture. Just because knucklehead Joe said that you should do that doesn't mean you should do that. Wise counsel will never contradict the Word of God. It'll never contradict the Spirit of God either, but it will contradict your spirit. All right. And then finally, there are spirits that are fundamentally Christian. This is where we should live. These, this is what we're testing and hoping to get to. Acts chapter 4 Reads like this. Peter and John have been arrested. They had just healed a man through the power of Christ Jesus, a lame beggar. They get brought before the high priests. And in verse 5, we start, we start with this. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly descent. So like all these important righteous people, quote unquote, are standing around. When they had placed them in the center, they began to, inspire, to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Well, that's a good question. It's questions we should ask ourselves. When Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, the same Peter that bowed down without the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that, that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before here before you in good health. What did I tell you? What's the Antichrist? Those who do not claim Christ Jesus. Who is, who is not the Antichrist? Those who claim Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, you want to test the spirits about what you should be listening to? How often are they saying the name of Jesus? 
You go to a church, you go to a, a gathering, and people are telling you five ways to a better you. That's not church. But then he continues, he says, He, Jesus, is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And then he declares this truth to them. What is our responsibility? To declare this truth to them. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Did you hear that? I'm going to read it one more time because we need to get a hold of that. I want to know if the people that you're allowing yourselves access to, that you're listening to, are willing to say, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. He specifically states the name of Jesus and stands in declaration of that name, that you will be saved by this Way You want to test the spirit of who you should be? Are you declaring Jesus? Or who you are allowing to speak into your life declaring Jesus is the only way to your salvation. And if it's not, if it's one of these people that don't declare it all or don't know it all, or have determined to confuse and mix up and malign the Word of God in regard to these areas, they shouldn't be listened to. Amen? I'm trying to equip you. This is an equipping lesson which means you have to take this information down now and I want you to go home and I want you to write three columns. Things that aren't Christian, things that say Christian stuff, and those things that are Christian. And write the names of everybody you know in those lists. You know what you've done? You've known who to take advice from who not to take advice from. You know who needs to hear the gospel, who doesn't need to hear the gospel, maybe needs to be encouraged in the gospel, who needs to know a greater truth than they know. You have set yourself up perfectly to influence your circle by asking yourself, where are the people in my life in regard to each of these three areas? And then I want you to erase all those names and figure out where you are. Because I would love to be able to say all y'all in that last bullet point, but the fact of the matter is we all ain't probably. But by the grace of God, we can be. And so I ask you, if you find yourself lacking, if you know that you have compromised the gospel, or perhaps you've never heard the gospel, someone's never declared the truth to you, I will tell you there is no other name except the name of Christ Jesus by which you can be saved. Under, in heaven or under the earth, no other name. Salvation lies in him only. And he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to take a beating on a cross and die for you. He loves you still now so much that he sits at, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession on your behalf right now. He's saying, Lord, God, now if it's the time, open up their ears, open up their eyes, open up their heart, that they might receive me by your spirit. Because none of us come to him unless the Father calls. But we call first. Or we, we call after he calls. And so I ask you, where are you in these areas?